Well, I'm glad you're here this morning, grateful and thankful uh, to be able to worship with you today. I want to thank those that are joining us online this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start out in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to begin. And yes, we are continuing this week our message uh, series that we've been in called The Presence of God. And uh, next week, I do plan to close out this uh, series next week. Uh, that's the second time I've planned on closing it out. We've been, actually been in this series twice as long as I had originally planned. But to uh, be honest with you, I just haven't been able to get away from it. Uh, as we've uh, been talking about God's presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and uh, I, just, I just couldn't turn the page and move on to something else because I think that it's uh, something that we need to uh, uh, understand. We need to give it probably a little more time and a little attention than we normally do. Friends, one of the greatest things about being a follower of Christ is His presence with us and in us. And so uh, uh, we've been talking about that. We've been focusing on the fact that Jesus didn't just save us from something, uh, even though He did save us from something that's absolutely awesome, and that's our past, that's the sins in our lives, that's our past mistakes. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from uh, an eternity in a lake of fire. But friends, uh, if He just meant to save us from something, then when uh, you were saved, He would have called you up on to heaven right then. And uh, so that tells me that He didn't only save us from something, but He saved us to something. And that's what we've been talking about uh, over these past uh, several weeks. He saved us to something that is absolutely uh, amazing, and that's His presence and what He wants to do in your life. The most amazing thing about being a follower of Christ is seeing what He does in our lives and what He does through our lives. And, and so it's His presence uh, and, and what He will do in us and as His uh, faithful followers that will bring glory to Him. Here's the deal. He saved you from your past, but He didn't leave you in your past. He saved you from your past, but He didn't want you to stay the way that you used to be. He wants to continually change you and shape you and mold you and make you into the image that He wants you to be, which is the image of the Son of God. He wants to continually work in us and through us to transform us into a powerful tool that's guided by the powerful Holy Spirit. And speaking of power, I know some of you are wondering, yes, the four-wheel drive got the bush out. All right, plenty of power there. Now, those of you that are, that, those of you that are driving them GM products and Dodges, I know y'all still fighting them bushes, but I got a Ford that'll handle it for you. Anyway, this morning, we'll pick it up here in chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 14 this morning. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Who did they send to Samaria? Peter and John. This morning, just so you know, it's going to require some group participation. Because I know some of you this morning have whined all the way here because you lost an hour of sleep. I had twins. Don't ever whine to me about not getting enough sleep. All right, right, Dan? Hello? Uh, 
So this morning, I, I, yeah, I just want to tell you up front, the message is going to be shorter. I know the music was a little longer. The message is going to be a little shorter. So we're all good, right? So who went to Samaria? Peter and John. You're going to need to know that here in a minute. It's going to be a quiz. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now skip down with me to verse number 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Would you join me this morning as we just pause and pray uh, together? God... I pray today that um, everything that might be a distraction would cease and that today we would be attentive to your spirit. I pray that we would be open to what your spirit wants to do in our hearts today and we would be available for what you want to speak into our lives, and that we would be paying close attention and listening for your voice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I don't know if this passage that uh, rings any bells with any of you, if it rings any bells with any of you yet, but if not, let me ring the bell for you today. Past few weeks... We have looked at a passage that Jesus said to his disciples before his ascension to heaven. And we looked at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 last week, and Jesus says this But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we didn't elaborate on this last week, but when Jesus said to them that you will be my witnesses in Samaria, it probably raised some eyebrows in the group. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and that made sense to them. They would have definitely understood that. You'll be my witnesses in Judea. Made sense. But Samaria. He added Samaria. And here's why that might have raised some eyebrows. Because the Jews made it no secret whatsoever that they despised the Samaritans. And it's no secret that the Jews had a lot of issues with the Gentiles at all. Um, the Gentiles were kind of like the redneck heathens of uh, that day in the Jews' eyes. And so if the Jews had issues with the Gentiles, then Samaria was like the armpit of everything Gentile. And these feelings were mutual between these two groups of people. It wasn't just that the Jews totally resented and despised the Samaritans, but the feelings were mutual on both sides of that. 
And Samaritans were considered by most Jews to be a bunch of lowly scoundrels uh, that no one wanted to be around or associate with. They were what scholars would describe as border people. And they were referred to as border people, meaning this, that they lived on the strip of land between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, And you might remember, just to give you an example of some of the resentment and some of the things that was going on in their culture back in that day, you might remember uh, when Jesus approached a woman at the well, and Jesus asked her for a drink. And in John chapter 4, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Other translations say that Jews do not use dishes that Samaritans use. So it's clear the Jews didn't think too highly of the Samaritans in any way at all. But here in our text this morning, again, I want you to think about who it is that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to His disciples, right? And when we think of the disciples, we think of Christ followers. And after all that they have seen and all that they have experienced, they are probably the closest Christ followers that we know of or have record of because they walked with Him personally for three years. And so these people who were the closest to Christ and who were these Christ followers... Surely they didn't have these same prejudices as everybody else had, right? I mean, surely they weren't prejudiced against the Samaritans. Well, let's visit another story that is recorded in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Again, this conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. When the disciples James and who? John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Our disciples, our closest followers of Jesus, James and John, wanted to call fire down on this Samaritan village because they weren't playing nice and they didn't like them. And don't just read this thinking that maybe they were being a little overdramatic that day and didn't really mean what they were saying. It's pretty clear here that Jesus didn't care 
for what they said. And he swiftly rebuked them for it. Well, why is that? What's the big deal? They were Samaritans. Lowly scoundrels. Here's the deal. Jesus saw something in James and John's heart that broke his heart. He saw something in James and John's heart that day that was ugly. And it was counterproductive to them being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was also counterproductive to the fact that he had been trying to teach them all along the two greatest commands are love God Love your neighbor. And instead of threatening uh, his childish acting disciples with a dose of their own medicine, Jesus had a far more effective plan in mind to fix this problem and to fix this issue. And in our text here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14... Don't miss this. Jesus gets assigned to be a missionary of the good news of Jesus Christ to the very people he volunteered to destroy. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And don't you think for one second this assignment was coincidental. Even as Jesus spoke these words in chapter 1 and verse 8, when he was sharing with the disciples before he would go, and he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And I'm guessing... That as Jesus said, and Samaria, he made eye contact with John. And Samaria. And Samaria. And so if this is the condition of the hearts of Jesus' closest disciples who have written and recorded the Gospels of the New Testament, it would probably be naive of us to think that we are any better. These disciples despised Samaritans. And so in light of this text and in light of this scripture, I think at this point it would be fair to ask ourselves, who is it that we despise? Who is it that you despise? And I'm going to say this morning, if I allowed everybody that wanted to, to stand up and share who it is that they despise, probably no one would do it here at church, but if you had the opportunity to do it at work tomorrow, you probably would be real quick to share. Because we're in church today, and 
when I ask, who is it that you despise? You'd go, oh, Brother Steve, I love everybody. Pastor Jim used to be here before me. He was a great, he was a good preacher. I don't know I don't know why y'all let him go. I really don't. But uh, he was a whole lot more educated than I am. Don't take much, but uh, he was. And he used to teach us a lot of Hebrew, and a lot of Greek when he was here. And if someone were to say, you know, I don't despise anyone, I love everybody, he would say, there's an old Hebrew word that describes your answer, baloney. (laughs) Do we really think we're any better than Christ's closest followers, his disciples? Who is it that you despise? You know, those people that turn your stomach. You can't hardly stand to see their face or hear their voice. The thought of someone even saying their name makes you cringe. And you surely wouldn't use the dishes that they had used. Who is that for you? Is it terrorist? Is it murderers? Is it child molesters? Drug dealers? Dopeheads? Drunks? Maybe for some of you it's Don Lemon. Maybe for others of you, it's Tucker Carlson. Maybe for some of you, it's the people crossing the border. You know, those border people. Between us and Mexico. Maybe you despise people who appear to be better off than you are. Or people that are in positions that you think they shouldn't be in. Or in positions that you think you ought to be in. Or maybe for some of you here today, it's, it's a family member. Maybe even a spouse that you have grown to despise. I don't know. Maybe it's those people that stand on the street corner holding a sign asking for a handout. Maybe it's the girl at the grocery store with pink hair that's all tattooed up and has piercings in her face. And some of those feelings that we have about certain groups of people and certain types of religions or colors 
These things are so deeply ingrained in us. I've heard people say before, that's just how I was raised. And we have these mindsets and we have these mentalities that we consider to be normal because that's just how I am. Rather than as it being what it is, and that's prejudice. And make no mistake about it, folks, prejudice is sin. Prejudice is sin. Prejudgment, stereotyping, a group of people is being prejudiced. And it's sin, plain and simple. And it's interesting to me. I love God so much. Um, Sometimes in Scripture, you just read things and you go, that is so awesome that he handled that the way he did, or he said that, or he did that. It just proves to me sometimes that God smirks at us, you know. And it's interesting to me that one of the tools that God uses... To get people to deal with their prejudices is by appointing that guilty person, (laughs) putting that person with those prejudices in front of one of those kind of people or bringing one of those kinds of people into their family. That they have judged in the past. Jesus said. Be my witnesses in. Samaria. I've seen this happen time and time again. And every time it makes me grin just a little bit when it does. But. A family has a known prejudice against a certain group of people, maybe a certain group of people of color, and it's strong, and they almost wear it as a badge, as a heritage. Friends, again, can I just tell you, God don't want you to stay the way that you were. He wants to change you into who He wants you to be. Sometimes living in the past is not the best place to be living. Sometimes embracing embracing heritage and history is not near as helpful as we think it is. He He doesn't want to leave you in the past. He wants to prepare you for the future. But I've seen it time and time again where a family will have a strong prejudice against people of color. And lo and behold, someone in that family will embrace 
a person of color or marry a person of color and the whole family finds themselves in the middle of Samaria. And the majority of the time, from what I have seen, what I have experienced, and what I have observed, it completely changes the way that family views that group of people. Friends, God works like that. And don't you ever think for a second that He doesn't. Because He does. And we see it here with John. I remember when I was a kid, and some of you, I hope you don't get offended by this. If you'll just stay and listen to the whole story before you get up and walk out, you'll probably understand it a little better. Um, when I was a kid, I remember thinking that there was something wrong with Catholic people. I know some of y'all, I know some of y'all. I was raised in a denomination that had very few relationships with people outside our denomination. Okay, let me just say it like that. And besides that, those Catholic kids, they wouldn't even go to school with us. They had their own school. Cute little uniforms. They too good for us kids on the other side of the tracks that were raised in the ghetto. And so I didn't like them. I didn't really know why, but I did. Because here's the deal. Can I just tell you today that a lot of our prejudice stems from pure ignorance. Ignorance. Matter of fact, let's just call it what it is. Being prejudiced is ignorant. And so I simply just didn't understand these people. I had my conceptions. I had my thoughts. I had my ideas. I had my views about who they were and what they were and all these things. But here's what's cool. Kind of like John here this morning. God would not let me stay the way that I was. You see, because God's plan and God's intention is that I would love, number one, love and have a heart for everybody, but He wanted me to love and embrace and have a heart for the entire body of Christ. And I never in my life would have considered these snobby, stuck-up people as being a part of the body of Christ. I mean, I just wouldn't. It would have never even crossed my mind that we were related. Who knew? And so God, in, again, He looks down and He just smirks, you know. God didn't want me to stay the way that I was, and so He put me in a situation and a position of meeting some of the finest Catholic people that you will ever find on the face of the earth. And I get a job working 
for a company, my team leader, Catholic. His supervisor, Catholic. The executive over all of us, Catholic. Half the people that I worked with, Catholic. All I could think when I got hired was, we're going to eat fish every Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm okay with that, just so you know. I wasn't okay with a lot of other things that I had preconceived notions about them. But as I began to work with those people, and I began to get close to those people, we began to talk about faith, and we began to talk about Jesus. And I was like, holy cow, they believe in Jesus. I thought they just believed in Mary. You know, and, and we began to talk about our faith, and I began to see their commitment to their faith. And it was admirable. They were so much more committed to their faith than the majority of people that I knew in mine. They were so committed to their faith and, and, and they had a heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a desire for the Word of God. For some re- reason I had in my crazy head that they didn't even read the Bible, that they weren't allowed to have a Bible, that the priest was supposed to read the Bible and tell them what he thought about it and that was good enough. And apparently that's the way it was years and years and years ago, but... That had all changed. And these people had a hunger for the Word of God. And they were telling me about these retreats that they were going on. And these Bible studies that they were doing together. And you know what I found out? We had so much more in common than what actually had separated us. So much more in common. And to be honest, I was absolutely shocked by that. I was blown away by that. These Catholics weren't at all who I thought they were or what they were. And to be honest with you, some of them were a whole lot better Christians than a lot of the Baptists and Nazarenes that I had grown up with. Listen, I don't think for one second that John missed the point when the apostles sent him (laughs) and Peter to Samaria. He came face to face, face to face, and saw that just like him, they were created in the image of God. Just like him, they are God's creation. And their skin bruised when it was hit, they bled red blood when they were cut. They were concerned uh, about their children and the welfare of their families. They cried when they were sad. They laughed when they were happy. And yes, they seemed different from a distance. But now, up close and personal, they didn't seem all that bad. Once he came to face to face with them and he began to listen to them and get to know them, they weren't at all like what he thought 
they were. And then something really cool happened. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. How interesting is this? John got his wish after all. He did call fire down on the Samaritans, right? But instead of fire that would destroy them and fire that would kill them, it was a thing that destroys, it was a fire that destroys things like hate. It was a fire that destroys things like being mean. It was a fire that destroys prejudice. Friends, don't miss this. This kind of fire destroys the old and makes things new. He don't want you living in the past. His goal is to take what's old. And make it new. Our God is a consuming fire. And that day he lit the hearts of the Samaritans on fire with the very hands of the people that they once had despised. The very hands of the Jews that had despised them and they had despised. Friends, I don't know about you, but I praise God that we who are sinful, we who are selfish, and we who are ignorant, can change. We can be changed. Because He wants to change us. John wouldn't be living in his old prejudices anymore. God didn't overlook his prejudice. But He never gave up on him. And verse 25 concludes this awesome story by saying this. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many (laughs) Samaritan villages. This God of love was continually working on John. This God of love desires to continually work on you. He's not overlooking our prejudice today. But He's not giving up on us either. And so He told us, Be my witnesses in Samaria. I really struggled with how to close this message this morning, but I felt impressed to leave the close of this message up to the Holy Spirit. To speak into your heart what He wants to say To you as an individual this morning. Be my witnesses. In Samaria. And this morning as we close in prayer. 
instead of you bowing your heads and closing your eyes like we normally close, I would ask this morning that you would just focus your eyes right there on the screen. Be my witnesses in Samaria. And what does the Holy Spirit say to you in that? And as I pray for us to close this morning, I continue to ask you, just focus on that while I pray. And be available to what He wants to speak into your heart this morning. God, I thank you today so much for this reminder of the awesome love that you have for us. And as we sang about the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, as we sang about the cross, I could not help but think you didn't just die for me. You didn't send your son to die on that cruel cross just for American people. You didn't send your son to die on a cross for just white people. You sent your son to die on the cross for every human being that you created. Every single one. Even the terrorist, the child molester, the vilest offender can believe, be saved, and be changed because of the cross of Calvary. God, a lot of times we look on our, at our lives and we justify our prejudices because that's just the way that we are. And I thank you for the promise this morning that you will not leave us the way that we are. And so today, I thank you for what you're doing through the presence of the Holy Spirit today that's speaking to hearts and speaking to lives and speaking to minds. And I pray that as we leave this place today that we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word, but we would be doers because when we walk out these doors, we are going to be your witnesses. And it's easy to be your witnesses in the places that make us comfortable. Like with your disciples, would have been easy in Jerusalem. Would have been easy in Judea. But oh, let somebody else go to Samaria. You've called us to be your witnesses in Samaria. Forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive me of my prejudice. Forgive me 
of viewing myself better than others. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. God, forgive me of that. I thank you for what your Holy Spirit's doing here today. But God, most importantly, I want to thank you for what you're going to do as these people go to be your witnesses in Samaria. To the Samaritans. God, we see what you've done in Scripture. I believe with all my heart that if we'll be obedient and faithful to the call on our lives to go to Samaria, then we'll see a mighty work as well. Thank you again so much for your love. Thank you for loving us enough to not want to leave us the way that we were and to leave us in the past, but to guide us into the greatest paths that you have for us in the days ahead. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I love you guys.